got your attention, please. This is Centers of Attention with Aton Thomas and Danny Shays. And good morning. It is a beautiful Thursday here on Centers of Attention. Aton Thomas back in the house from parts unknown around the world. I'm Danny Shays, and it's always a good day after a Syracuse win, even though it wasn't the prettiest win in front of the biggest crowd. A W is a W, Aton. It's like when they talk about pilots, a landing you can walk away from is is a good one. A basketball game you walk away with a W, we'll consider it a good one. Hey, I'll take it. You know what I mean? It, like you said, it wasn't the prettiest win, but I'll definitely take it. We had some bright spots. You know, Gerard had got got his rhythm a little bit, and you know, scored a lot of points in there. And I mean, overall, it it's a good win. We'll, we'll take it. That's what I'll say. We'll take it. We'll take it. Th- th- there is one thing that jumped out at me, though. Um, number one, you look at uh, you know the percentage of three point shots that we're taking compared to our total shots is increasing. And uh, we've had, uh, you know, three players yesterday took 10 or more threes, uh, which is an interesting stat, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit. But also part two is, you know, we talked about Buddy Beheim and Elijah Hughes being 40-minute players. And uh, uh, uh-huh. now I, you, know, you look at the game, and there's actually most of the t- starters were 40-minute players. You had Dolajai 38 minutes. You had Gerard at 36. And, of course, Hughes and Beheim did play the full 40. So there were not that many minutes to go around. Quincy gets 12. You know, Jesse got a few at center. Uh, and Howard Washington just won four-minute stint uh, coming in at, at the point guard. So, uh, you know, Coach Beheim is, is kind of known for shortening his rotation. But, you know, four, four out of your five starters playing essentially 40 minutes, that's, that's a pretty short rotation. Um, I got to be honest, I would rather see, um, and this is just me personally, I'd rather see him utilize a little bit more of the bench. And this is the reason why. Uh, When you play players for 40 minutes and then they go in the game knowing that they're going to play 40 minutes, they have the tendency to start pacing themselves. You know what I mean? They're not going all out of it because they know that they'll have a break for a little while. And I'm a little bit worried about them getting into that as the season goes on as far as pay. And I don't think that we're really at that level where we could pace ourselves with anything so that that part i have to say it worries me a little bit well and i'm i have the same same issue for a little bit a different reason number one is we talked a lot about quincy garrier how he's going to be a big part of this team because of the lack of physicality and so i you know going into it you think you know we got these three non-conference games that are uh, you know, those winnable games at this part of the year, it would be a time to maybe get him a groove, right? Get him 20, 25 minutes uh, to see if he can, you know, generate, you know, get his confidence in, get, you know, some some smoothness out on the court. You know, same thing if you're going to get Jesse Edwards some minutes. Again, this team out-rebounded uh, pretty significantly, uh, 34-29 in a game that they're, you know, they're, they're far ahead on. Outshot at the free throw line, twenty-four to eighteen, and eighteen for them is a big number. Uh, you know, frankly, uh, Joe Girard getting to the line seven times, which was uh, you know a nice boost. And uh, Elijah Hughes, interestingly, got and Quincy neither got to the line. So, um, so again, that's a, a, you know not a strength of this team. And so I think that getting Quincy some minutes here uh, would be important minutes. Same thing, like I said, with uh, with Jesse Edwards at the center, trying to see if he can. Uh, you know, get uh, you know, get some floor time, and, and Howard Washington as your backup. So that's the the other issue for me is this is a great opportunity to get those guys some opportunity minutes. 
Well, let me say this. As far as Quincy Gary, I'm, I'm going to be his biggest cheerleader for a while. Um, I like the way that he plays. I like the physicality that he, that he brings to the game. And honestly, he's the only physical player on the team, in, in my estimation. Now, Sibide, um, he grabbed like maybe 12 or 13 rebounds. We definitely need him to continue doing that. But um, Gary A brings that physicality. So I, I think that we're going to have to be comfortable with him making some mistakes. Um, and as long as they're effort mistakes, and their their passionate mistakes, I can live with those. I saw one time in the second half, um, he was running for a closeout on a three point line, and he kind of just ran into the guy. I mean, it, that, that, he, he just he didn't stop first, but he ran out hard. And those are just things that he's going to have to learn how to do. But I don't want it to take away from his physicality and the way that he plays. We need him to play that way. So I would really like to see him get more and more minutes as this season progresses. Exactly. Like I said, especially in these couple games. So, again, look, you know, kind of looking at how the game went out, uh, you know, this is a team that you'd expect Syracuse not only to win, but really win going away. The, uh, Oakland was on the, the back end of a six-game road trip, uh, only five and seven on the year. And, uh, you know, I know there's not much life in the Dome. You know, it seems that, the uh, of course, you've got that combination of holiday break, uh, so no fans around, no cheerleaders, no band. Uh, so it kind of was like a you know big scrimmage almost last night. No, it, it definitely did. You know, I'm, I was watching it on uh, ESPNU, and I was like, where are all the fans? And then it took me a while to say, oh, yeah, everybody's on Christmas break. Nobody's there. The student section was empty, no band playing, <laughs> no cheerleaders. I was like, oh, Lord. But, yeah, I mean, but we'll, we'll get the fans back afterwards. But, you know, I think that we have to be able to build on any level of positivity. Uh, we had Alan Griffin on the game, on the um on the line uh, Tuesday, and he spoke with a lot of passion about how much criticism uh, Syracuse is taking right now. And I, it, it, I have to say, I've never really heard uh, Coach Griffin, you know, speak that way and that passionately. And I was like, no, I, I feel him because the guys are working hard. They're a young team, you know what I mean. And we have to be able to remind fans that this is a young team that we lost two major starters last year. And yes, if those starters was was were still there, I think we be a top five team in the country i have no doubt in my mind but they're not here so you have guys that are going to have to learn on the job right now and they're going to take their bumps and bruises so you know syracuse fans are just going to have to just be patient and it's going to be a rebuilding year but next year you know what i mean the guys should be ready but this year you're going to see some highs some lows peaks and valleys and they're just going to have to be able to ride that wave with us you know, it's interesting. My senior year uh, was this type of season. We had just lost Louie and Bowie, who were obviously the cornerstones of, of the Jim Beheim era at the beginning. Uh, we came in with a brand new team. We had uh, uh, you know, young Tony Bruin, young Leo Routens, young Eric Sanifer, uh, Marty Head and I, Eddie Moss at the point. And so we, we had an adjustment year. We actually got through the end of the regular season 15-11, and 11, uh, and then ended up winning the Big East tournament. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, that year was the first year of the league, so that didn't get an automatic bid. We ended up going to the NIT, but then ran all the way to the finals and, and ended up you know, winning, like uh, I think it was like nine of our last ten games and with a great finish. Uh, so you know, it, it, that's something that I can see this team developing as that season goes along. So I don't want to, number one, get, uh, like I said, we're not bandwagon jumpers by any stretch. I think there absolutely is a... 
uh, you know, is, is our brighter days ahead. But I want to get back to the Ellen Griffin thing you mentioned. I remember one game I was getting booed at home. Uh, forget all the circumstances, but Coach Beheim actually turned around and started yelling at the students in the student section, uh, you know, defending me as a player. So, uh, you know, that's the kind of staff that you have here. And, and, and seeing Alan Griffin, uh, you know, going on his little rant, as he said, uh, he even warned us. He said, I'm going to go on my rant. And, uh, you know, I was, I was very pleased to see that. You know, this is a team that's, uh, that's we're going to see how mentally tough they are as the season goes along. Because the ACC, just like I said, going through the Big East at that time, once that league starts, it's no joke. I mean, and they're going to have their peaks and valleys. And we just have to know that going in. But, you know, Coach Griffin said they're a hard group, a hardworking group. Um, they continue to be positive. You know, sometimes you have to tell guys to, to stay off social media. You know what I mean? I, I was going to say that don't read the newspapers, but then I was going to make myself sound exactly. my age. So I would say don't, don't stay off of Instagram. You know what I mean? And, and don't look at what everybody is saying about you and just continue to keep your head down and then just keep working hard because there will be brighter times. But the, you know how? it is when you don't play well you know everybody piles on everybody becomes the monday morning quarterbacks and they know what should have happened and who should be playing and who should be playing better you know what i mean but and that's just that's just part of it but you know i i like this group you know i i recognize how young they are but there will be better times they just have to keep you know just keep their head down and just keep working hard that's what they have to do Exactly. They got a nice stretch coming up. They're home against uh, North Florida on Saturday, then Niagara uh, the next week. So they they have a lot of practice time. Uh, only two games before the fourth, when they open up the uh, reopen up, I should say, the ACC schedule against uh, uh, Notre Dame uh, at home in Virginia Tech. So they got a nice four or five game stretch here, uh, where they can you know start putting some wins in the column, uh, you know, keep ahead of things and. Uh, you know, and really improve. So we're gonna, we're definitely gonna keep our eye on that if naturally, and uh, you know, wish the fellows all the luck. So on that, we're gonna take our first break here on Centers of Attention with the Tom Thomas. I'm Danny Shays. We're gonna be back with quick hitters right after this. This is Centers of Attention with the Tom Thomas and Danny Shays. And welcome back to Centers of Attention with a Tom Thomas. I am Danny Shays, and it's time for our quick hitters today. And we got a nice variety from a bunch of different sports. Let's start out a ton with your New York Knicks. Uh, as you know, they fired their head coach, uh, David Fisdale, last week. They brought in uh, Mike Miller temporarily, and now they brought in coach, uh, ex-Cavs coach, Dave Blatt, uh, to be a basketball operations consultant. And uh, so... Uh, he's officially oh, retired from coaching, and now he's uh, being a front office guy. And if you remember, Dave Blatt was brought in to uh, coach most of his career overseas, was brought in to rebuild Cleveland the week before they signed LeBron James and Kevin Love, uh, trade for Kevin Love. All of a sudden, well, we're not rebuilding anymore. Now we're in the finals. you know. And uh, So Dave was there a couple of years, got, uh, got fired there when the team stalled a little bit. Teron Liu brought him to the championship, and now... The Knicks brought him in as a consultant. Okay. I have so many questions about this hire, to be honest with you. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, he, he's more of an overseas coach. That's where he made his name. Um, he loved to criticize uh, American players. That's kind of what he what he did. It didn't really work out in Cleveland. None of the players really bought into his system or speak highly of him, you know, as far as, as, far as his coaching stint with them. So I don't really know what he's going to bring to the Knicks. And I, I don't think this was the change. You know, I can speak for New York fans right now. But I don't think this was 
this was the change that New York Knicks fans were hoping for. Um, I think there was other changes that they were expecting. So hopefully this isn't the only announcement that will be coming from, from the Knicks organization here soon. Well, Dave Blatt is a, a, a very quality guy. I actually played in a European tournament with him when we were in college uh, back in the day. Uh, played actually a tournament over in Israel. And, uh, and, and you know, Dave's a, a championship-level coach. Again, unknown here because of, uh, uh, because of his success overseas and actually was just coaching in the, in the Greek League uh, this year. So uh, a, a very quality guy. Again, I'm with you from the standpoint that I'm not exactly sure what he's designed to bring to the table. Uh, you know, he retired from coaching, was diagnosed with MS, interestingly enough. Uh, so he's uh, done with the coaching thing. So, again, we're, we saw the story. Uh, I, I know Dave got a little bit of a, of a head scratcher, but uh, a super quality basketball mind, super hard worker. Again, we'll just have to see kind of what else is going to be coming out of the Knicks, uh, uh, you know, the Knicks there. They've, they've certainly got plenty of, uh, plenty of places that they can improve. Oh, that's a very nice way to say it. Uh, plenty there you of go. places that they can. <laughs> plenty of uh, places they can have a little bit of improvement. That, that, that's very nice of you. <laughs> no, no, well, no. When, no. when you have the worst record in the East, you got plenty of places to improve. And then, the, uh, and you and I as players, this next one's a complete head scratcher. A couple of days before the biggest game of the year, Oklahoma LSU, three players for Oklahoma get suspended for uh, reportedly testing positive for a banned substance. And I always, you know, you see these stories about, you know, some guy gets a DUI the day before the Super Bowl and he gets suspended. Or, you know, you're like, dude, wait a week, you know, and then, you know, and then go smoke a fatty after you celebrate, not before the game. You know, it's like, holy cow, how do you how do you screw that deal up? So this is my this is my issue with this and my question with this. Um, you know, Oklahoma has just become a, a state where where marijuana is legalized, and you know, I would like to see where how that trickles down to other sports as marijuana becomes legalized in different states. Um, you see what the MLB just just passed, where yeah. uh, marijuana will not be one of the banned substances uh, that they test for, and I want to see how that trickles down to the NBA, the NCAA, the NFL as well. Um, I think that's that's interesting because they have no problem um, prescribing all the opioids that players would ever want and need or desire. But, you know, but when marijuana is legal in the state, you know, with that being, you know, the the being penalized in a game as big as this, I, I just want to see how that's going to really, uh, you know, unfold as as is legalized all over the country. Exactly. We are in this kind of gray area, but, uh, you know, look, I, I'm not going to blame anything but the players on this one. This, they just have to be smarter than that. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if these guys are, are even underage. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of question marks to it, but uh, just bad timing all around, especially when you're, uh, when you're getting ready to play the, you know, the defending national champs or the number one team, I should say, LSU, uh, for the championship. You know, they're in the, you know, the, the, the championship round. So it's a tough one. It's still left. It's been unaddressed that if, if uh, Oklahoma beats LSU, will they be eligible for the championship game? So, again, the jury's still out on that one, and, and we'll definitely keep an eye on it. And then uh, this one kind of made me smile. The XFL. Uh, as you know, the Alternative Football League, owned by Vince McMahon from uh, from wrestling fame, has put out that uh, uh, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, and Colin Kaepernick's names have both been kind of 
circulated about whether they would go play in the XFL. And, uh, you know, the, the GMs of different teams and, and the league has come out and said, well, Colin probably can't make enough money at, at 55000 annual salary to please him. And, and we don't, just don't think Johnny's very good anymore. So both of those guys are there. They're like, yeah, don't call us. Uh, you know, we're fine the way we are. Yeah, I don't want to see Colin Kaepernick playing in the XFL, to be honest with you. Um, but it is interesting, you know, from our conversation even before, that uh, Antonio Brown is is getting even more attention now from the NFL as more teams want him to come in. Um, but it's just interesting that they don't feel that Antonio Brown would be a, um, you know, any type of a distraction or any problem, but Colin Kaepernick would. You know, it's just interesting comparing the two. So Antonio Brown, with everything that he's been doing nonstop in the media, no worries about him being a distraction, but Colin Kaepernick, that's too much of a media distraction. I think that's that's really hypocritical. Well, I, yeah, and they were very, uh, you know, very kind of coy about it instead of saying that, well, you know, it's, uh, it's not really an issue of us not wanting him. We just probably can't pay him enough money where he'd want to come. So it's like they're putting out the don't call us, you know, we'll call you thing, but we're not going to call you. You know, so it's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, pretty interesting that way. Again, if nothing else, great attention. But one, here was one kind of element to it that caught my eye is Vince McMahon had come out, the, you know, the founder of the league and said that our players are required to stand for the anthem. Mm-hmm. And I guess a reporter had tweeted out that Kaepernick, if he signed in the NFL, would stand for the anthem. And Colin responded to that with a kind of very obscure Winston Churchill quote about how, uh, you know, a rumors will circulate the world before the truth gets its pants on, you know, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. It's kind of intimating that they probably wouldn't stand for the anthem. Don't say that. And so now that puts that thing still out there. And... Uh, you know, so I, I just found that kind of an odd juxtaposition that, that, you know, him standing for the anthem is is still an unanswered question at this point. Oh, well, definitely. They're not going to let that go. But I don't think it was obscure at all. I think he's saying he's lying. I did not say that. that that's exactly. Was, that's my point. And <laughs> that's he said he'll stand for the anthem. So he's saying that, no, I wouldn't stand. Essentially saying I won't stand for the anthem. So so don't say that out loud. Anyway, so a couple of big games, uh, you know, to you know get some get some excitement today. Lakers at the Bucks, the two best records in the league, the two biggest stars in the league going at it in Milwaukee tonight. That's going to be a big barn burner. And, uh, uh, you know, we got LeBron and, and, and Giannis going at it. I'm looking forward to seeing this game. You know, um, Milwaukee took a took an L against. Uh, they, they didn't think that they were going to take an L against them, but they took an L last night, uh, two nights ago. And um, Giannis said that he definitely doesn't want to lose two in a row. But this is going to be this is the matchup that everybody's thinking it could come down to uh, for the NBA Finals. Now that part I don't know, but this is what everybody is speculating about. But Giannis looks unstoppable. I gotta say, I mean, he really looks unstoppable. They back off of him, and he he does that long Euro step and still ends up in the basket. But then you have the one-two punch of you know LeBron and Anthony Davis. Uh, so it, it's going to be a great matchup. Well, I think if we've seen the um, somebody have the biggest benefit from the loosening, or I should say, really the tightening of the defensive rules, right? You can't hand check, you can't be physical. I think Giannis is the guy who may benefit the most with his skill set as big and long and tall and those long strides and he gets ahead of steam going, handles the ball so well, tough to hand check and body him out front. Um, you know, I think anyone in the league, he probably benefits the most 
uh, from the rules. And then you look at LeBron on the other side, you know, as physical as he is, again, makes him tough to stop as well. So these are probably the two guys, uh, you know, who, who the new rules really help. Uh, I think James Harden has to be a close second uh, because, yeah. I, you know, he draws fouls like nobody else has almost ever had. Um, but I, I think you're right. And I'm not honestly, I'm not a fan of the rules because I, I value defense. And as right now, they're penalizing guys for playing defense. Um, and the flopping, I think, is getting actually worse. I don't think it's getting better. They have the different uh, rules of, of the flopping and they're going to penalize players. But they need to do that penalty a whole lot more because guys are flopping all over the place exactly and uh on that note we're going to take our next break here on sons of attention stay right there we have howard beck uh coming back and be talking about some nba news on the bottom half of the hour so stay right there we'll be right back here on sons of attention with a tom thomas i'm danny shays this is centers of attention with a tom thomas and danny shays and welcome back to Centers of Attention. I'm Danny Shays with the Tom Thomas. And joining a special guest on the Burdick Toyota guest line, Howard Beck, the famed sports writer for Bleacher Report currently. And uh, Howard, welcome. We've got so much great NBA stuff to talk about. And I'd uh, uh, love to get your perspective. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, gentlemen, nice to uh, be with you again. Thanks for having me. Uh, that's great, Howard. So, Greg, I wanted to ask you, um, the, there's a little thing going on right now with Kevin Garnett, and he's talking about, you know, his interactions with LeBron and if they ran them out of Cleveland and how they formed. What, what is your take on everything? I've heard a lot of takes, but what is your take on the timing of everything and, and exactly what's going on? Well, I mean, you know, the timing is just simply that, you know, Kevin Garnett is playing uh, a starring-ish role in the new movie Uncut Gems, which is uh, coming out on, I think, Christmas Day. Um, I got to see a screening of that actually a while back. It's phenomenal, and Garnett is great in it. Adam Sandler's amazing in it as well. And so those two were on Bill Simmons' podcast, and Simmons, being a big Celtics fan, of course, has to, to ask Garnett about, you know, LeBron and you know that rivalry, everything else. Garnett, just out of the blue, says, we broke LeBron. And I kind of get it. Um, look, the, the Celtics were absolutely standing in LeBron's way for you know multiple years there. They were the ones who kept turning him back. They're the ones who knocked him out of the playoffs for the final time in a Cavaliers jersey before he went to Miami. And you know you could you could look at that all one of you know several ways. One would be okay, as Garnett says. They broke him. He fled to Miami because they, they they had just broken his his will or his belief or whatever he however Garnett wants to put it. The other way of looking at it would be that in losing to the Celtics multiple times with their three future Hall of Famers, maybe four if Rondo makes it. Who knows? I mean that we always talk about that big three. It was really a big four, and Rondo's kind of the forgotten fourth piece of that. Um, but in in losing to them multiple times, I think LeBron recognized that. Yeah, you can't do it alone, and Cleveland can't get anybody of that caliber there because, you know, it's hard to attract free agents to Cleveland, and they took a lot of swings at, at acquiring guys, Antoine Jameson and aging Shaq. They couldn't get there. So I don't think LeBron was broken in, in Garnett's view. I, I, I just think he recognized that there was no way, unless he was on a team with other All-Stars, that he would ever have a chance and that he needed to do that himself because the Cavaliers couldn't pull it off. So he went to Miami. He played with Wade and Bosch. It paid off. He went to, you know, I mean, four straight finals with them and obviously four more after that. 
um, and has won three championships since. So, if anything, I think the Celtics just kind of showed him a path. Well, we could always consider the Celtics as LeBron's Pearl Harbor, right? I mean, it, uh, in your in your point, it was a maybe a victory at the time, uh, but woke him up, had him go you know, make a change uh, in his career path, and, uh, and and now he's LeBron, right? I mean, not that he wasn't LeBron before, but three championships, eight straight finals, you know, that uh, uh, since then. So that's an interesting interesting point. How one man's yeah, we broke him as another man's no, we we turned him into this uh, turned him into a monster. Yeah, I mean, they really did. They, 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 if, if, if the Celtics kind of have themselves to blame to an extent for LeBron basically stealing the torch from them and, and breaking them in turn because the Celtics, look, that run was always going to be limited. There was always going to be a ceiling on it because of the ages at which Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett were brought together. They were already all north of 30, and, and then Garnett got hurt the year after their championship. So there was always going to be a limitation there just based on age. But LeBron, in going to Miami and teaming up with Wade and Bosch, he turned the tables on them. Then he was the one who prevented them from you know, any attempt to become a dynasty or even any attempt to be able to, to add a second championship. And as great as those Celtics teams were, that was a short-lived era. They only won one title out of it, made two finals appearances. It was less than it might have been. And I think LeBron is at least partially responsible for that. Obviously, Kobe Bryant and, and Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, and those guys were partially responsible too, having beaten them in 2010 in the finals. But I, I just I think that that yes, the Celtics they created Frankenstein's monster. They were the ones who basically said, you know, if, if you got three All Stars, uh, you are the super team. You are the the, the team to beat. And if you want uh, to be able to, to defeat that, you've got to create your own version of it. And so LeBron did. We're talking to Howard Beck, uh, NBA senior writer and uh, from the Bleacher Report. And I wanted to ask you, Howard, you know, on, on your Twitter handle, you said, I will not just stick to sports. And you know that caught my eye. So I'm, I'm going to throw a question in here. You know, tell me your take and, and your response to the Trump impeachment. I'm sure you have some, some responses on it. I see you like a few of my posts every now and then. So tell me your response yes. to Trump being impeached. Yeah, well, I will not stick to sports just as a quick, uh, you know, aside or a quick explanation. I didn't always have that in my bio, and certainly during my many years in newspapers, which have a much more strict kind of set of, of rules on, on journalists, especially when I was at the New York Times, I had to, to kind of keep my politics to myself publicly. That's the rules, and, and I, I believe in that. But uh, we are in a very uh, unique era, to put it kindly. And over the last few years, since Trump got elected, uh, my feeling has been, and, and I, I work for an outlet that doesn't require the same or, or impose the same kind of strictures, uh, restrictions on us, it, to me, was I, I felt like I could not be silent during a time like this. And so uh, I try not to overdo it, but my Twitter account is, especially on a day like yesterday, um, quite uh, tilted toward politics over sports and I just kind of hope that people bear with it and I, I don't get that many complaints these days I will tell you that over over time I've gotten less and less backlash for tweeting about Trump and all of his misdeeds or his his just general buffoonery and so I, I've been oddly heartened a little bit maybe just because I've blocked and muted so many people who knows um, uh, yesterday was was it I, I think you know look it was it was a, a, a good day and a bad day for this country. It, it's, it's, a, it's, it's bad because this was necessary at all 
and and that is a sobering uh, event. Impeachment is a sobering event, and it is something that should be a last resort, and I think it was a last resort. On the other hand, the, the encouraging part of it, the hopeful part of it, is that it's a reminder that we do still have some checks and balances in this country. Now, they may be negated by a Senate that has already predetermined it's going to acquit him, and led by uh, Republican leaders who just have already announced publicly that they don't believe they have any obligation to be impartial or to hear evidence or, or from witnesses. <laughs> like, that's depressing. Um, but the mere fact of impeaching Trump, which cannot be undone, and which will uh, you know live in the history books forever, is at least a reminder that for the moment we still have other branches of government that can try to provide a check on the executive, especially when that executive has completely run amok and poisoned our political culture. Well, it's interesting you say that, Howard, because uh, I always viewed impeachment the way it's being done now as the first resort, not the last resort. And love, hate, lo- you know, love Trump or hate Trump is really not my conversation at all. Uh, he's certainly, a, a, you know, the most complex president we've ever had, and he, his record, you know, shows accomplishments. And then you mentioned his buffoonery, which is certainly there, and you know, not something that is, you know anyone needs to even think about defending, because of course you knew what you were getting when you elected him from that standpoint. Uh, but considering, I, I just have a hard time when you consider that, like the first day he was elected, they're saying, okay, what not, what can we do, impeach him on? And they've been looking for something for years and years and years. And, you know, personally, going back even to, like, the Clinton when they impeached him for the Monica Lewinsky thing, I thought that was nonsense. It's just not really impeachable. Yeah, he had other crimes they went after him for, but never was removed from office. And for me, this just seems like an impeachment looking for a cause. And that's, and like I said, it's not whether you know, support Trump or not support Trump, but I don't know how they can, with a straight face, talk about how, uh, you know, this is a thing of last resort. They've been trying to impeach him since he got elected. I don't think that's true, though. I mean, it really isn't. And, and in fact, Nancy Pelosi and Democratic leadership had been trying to stave off any any uh, uh, attempts to go down this path. They had been holding at bay those in the party who were more eager to, to, to try to go down this road, whether it was re- with regard to Russia or the Mueller investigation. There's been plenty of impeachable offenses by this president, I think, for the last couple of years. And if anything, Democratic leadership was saying, no, 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 There's, this is not a road we should go down unless we absolutely have to. And in this case, there was just absolutely, uh, I think, irrefutable objective proof of malfeasance that needed to be checked. And I think this was absolutely a last resort. If if the Ukraine, if the the whistleblower never comes forward, if this whole Ukraine uh, saga never comes to light, then there's no impeachment going on right now. So you can't say that they were just looking for it and, and couldn't wait to do it. There was a necessity based on events. Those events actually happened, and those events were deemed to be uh, having hit the threshold that makes impeachment necessary and justified. And so the idea they were looking for it from day one, there's just no evidence to that. What do you mean? They've been saying it since day one. Everybody no, who comes no, no. in people, saying, people, they, they people voted who, to impeach him like six different times already, and they just didn't, but this is the one they got passed, but they've they voted no. a bunch of times already to impeach him. There, there have been there have been those in the House who have who have proposed that at times based on other offenses that people can discuss whether they were rash or uh, 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 you know hit the threshold or not. There were other times that some in the House brought those forward. I think for symbolic purposes, for other reasons, but the, the fact that those all went absolutely nowhere because they didn't have 
even close to majority support indicates that there wasn't a an effort by quote unquote the democrats as a whole to do this yes there were always some you could you find any number of republicans who are wanting to impeach obama fifty thousand times over it, it it's, it's irrelevant unless you actually well, even, as a party even decide nancy to pelosi forward. said we've been working on this for two and a half years she said that last week so i, I don't, don't know again that's, that's just the way I, that's just the way it lands I, for me again it's not whether i support trump or don't support right, trump thing. i just think this is here, you know kind of no, concocted from that standpoint but uh no but it's politics here's no, no no here's here's the only important point it's not about whether or not they were looking for a reason. It's not about whether or not anybody said something or whether people proposed symbolic versions of this over you know, the last couple of years. The only thing that matters is it's been laid out. And I think, in my view, and I think clearly in the view of uh, the majority of the House and clearly the majority of the American public based on polling, people have recognized that that happened, that it was at least improper, if not illegal, that it is a threat to our system of government, and that it's wrong to invite foreign governments to interfere in an election, and that that should be probably kind of reined in. So, I mean, that, like that's the only issue. And like, whether or not people wanted to impeach is irrelevant. The question is, did did Trump, uh, you know, in his actions? Warrant impeachment. That's really the only thing. The, the politics of it is irrelevant. It's about his actions and uh, having to be accountable for those actions. Well, and I think I also think his, it's dangerous when only one Beck. side Listen, thinks I wanna, that. I want to thank you anyway. for coming on the show and having the courage to be able to talk about politics, especially in the lane that you have carved in as the NBA senior writer and writing for the Bleacher Report. We're going to have to have you back on again because I, I can talk about this all day. <laughs> uh, but thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, we appreciate all of your comments. Appreciate it, fellas. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. You bet. All right, and on that note, we're going to take our last break here. We'll be back with the fourth quarter big finish right after this on Center of Attention. I'm Danny Shade with the Tom Thomas. Stay right there. In the booth, 2 to 3, on twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is and welcome back to Center of Attention. I'm Danny Shays with the Tom Thomas. Today brought to you by Mattress Express, home of the number bed by Instant Comfort. And don't forget, this Saturday, Syracuse, North Florida, Seth Goldberg and I will be doing the pregame show on the Burdick Ford and Burdick Toyota pregame. So check us out an hour before tip-off this Saturday. And, Atan, you know, we're, we're looking into the future here. We've got the Zion Williamson. He's he's back on his feet, not ready to play yet, but uh, he says he's back on uh, full weight-bearing. He's starting to shoot and work out, and they're, of course, going to be easing him back in. Uh, uh, it was funny that uh, Jalen Rose came out and said that he doesn't think that Zion will ever play an 82-game season uh, because of, uh, you know, this new kind of world of, uh, you know, load management and with his injury uh, history and and that kind of thing. So, interesting comment, the guy who hadn't played a game yet. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when we, we talked about this on Tuesday, um, you know, when I said that I think Cole Anthony should shut it down, and I still stick into that. I know Kendall Gill didn't agree with me. I don't know. Not many people agree with me, but I still say it. You know, you, you have to think about the future, and a lot of people are pointing this injury that uh, Zion Williams is, is trying to come back from now to his days at Duke, and I said after, I said, first of all, after the first two games, I didn't think he needed to really play any, anything at all for this reason, uh, but especially 
after he had the injury scare and the way he went down his knee twisted I was like his college days should be over he should retire from college and just get ready for the draft but you know I, I hope he's fine I hope it all works out but guys got to really start thinking about their future I mean it that's that's you just have to well, it's such a delicate balance because, yeah, on the one hand, you you know, clearly you have to think about your future and more of, you know, us old school guys. And I put Kendall in that in that group, you know, playing in his era, early 90s. You know, our era was tape it up and let's go. Right. It wasn't, uh, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sore. I'm going to sit out tonight. It was, uh, you know, what do I have to do to get on the court? So I get that mentality shift. But the reality is, you know, as we've seen hundreds of times, you know, the world's not looking out for you. You know, you have right. to look out for you. And at the end of the day, you know, there are risks that are, uh, you know, that, that are too high to take. But, uh, you know, although the flip side of that is, look, the, I'm, I'm here to play, right? I'm Yeah, I have to protect my future. Can't be dumb about it. But the bottom line is that, that there's the present. we got a game today, right? We're trying to get the playoffs and the championship. So it's a, it's a very tough line to walk. And I think people are still trying to figure out kind of how it should work. Yeah, see, I think the line is that you got to think about your future. That's what I think. I mean, because honestly, the university is going to be fine for many decades and years after you. You know what I mean? I mean, they're going to move on. If you can't play another day at the university, they're going to move you to the side and bring somebody in, and it's like you're never there. So I'd say players have to think about their – I mean, because I know a lot of players from from, um, back in the day, I won't say old school, just from back in the day with the mentality of, you know, put some spit on it and gone ahead and got out there and played a game. You know, and, and you see as you have more information, um, now you handle things differently. So guys have their own STEM units. They have their own sound units. You know what I mean? They have different ways of being able to understand their bodies. And as you have those different information, you have to move differently. So I, I, I think Cole Anthony, I'll, I'll stick to that. I'll say it the whole year. I think Cole Anthony should shut it down and focus on just rehabbing and getting ready for the draft for this exact reason of what Zion Williamson is going through now. Well, an interesting part of that, because the college you know, seasons are relatively short. I mean, if you think about, you know, what have they got, 20 games left? You know, if he's out for 10 games, now you're trying to get him to come back for, you know, the last, you know, f- you know 10 games of the season. Now you got to get him back in the rotation, game shape for the tournament. You maybe play, you know, it's, it's a very tough thing in college, because you're right, you miss the first half of the year and you're a one-and-done guy. You're kind of done anyway, right? And, uh, you know, Zion came back last year, got bumped in the first round of the tournament. Ooh, that was his experience. Over. So Shut it down. (laughs) It is is a tough thing. And on that note, we're going to wrap today. We'll be back tomorrow on Centers of Attention. He's Atan Thomas. I'm Danny Shays. We'll see you tomorrow. Is whether or not this Ukraine saga